of prayer. God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for bringing us here, God. Thank you how great you are, God. And we do, Lord, worship you, for you are our Lord God, our maker. And God, as we come before you tonight, we want to seek you and hear from you. And we ask, God, that you would open our eyes to your greatness, Lord, that you would help us to see that, God, in order that we may have more faith and trust and pray more. And so I ask, God, that your, your spirit would just anoint your word tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This church became very concerned when a bar opened up right in the middle of their small town. The Christians then gathered together for an all-night prayer meeting, passionately praying that God would intervene somehow. Well, it just so happened that night a storm came and lightning hit the bar, caught it on fire, and it burnt down to the ground. Well, because of that, the owner of the bar sued the church, claiming the prayers of the congregation was responsible. Well, the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. When the judge in court first looked over the documents, he said this, Well, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The bar owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. (laughs) I guess it kind of shows that. Well, do you believe that prayer makes a difference? George Mueller said this, I have joyfully dedicated my whole life to the object of exemplifying how much may be accomplished by prayer and faith. Well, tonight we continue our study in the book of Acts, and we come to see that prayer does make a difference. And that's the title of our message. Prayer does make a difference. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 12 from verse 1 through verse 19 tonight. Uh, That'll be our section. And there's four things we're going to see. We're going to see, number one, the political move. Number one, the prayer meeting. Number three, the prison miracle. And number four, the power made clear. So, prayer does make a difference. That's our title once again. And we begin with number one here in our first section, the political move. The political move. Now, we're going to be covering verses one through the first part of three in this first section. Let's go ahead and and look at this. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And then verse 3, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And we'll stop right there. We'll pick up the... Next part of verse 3 in our next section. So we begin here. Once again, Luke is writing. He's the author of this book. And he begins here in verse 1. He says, about that time. Well, what time is he talking about? Well, it refers back to Acts chapter 28, uh, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse chapter 11, verse 28. And refers to about that famine that came upon the region there at that time. Remember, that was about 45, 46 A.D. is when Claudius, the Caesar, was in power there, as Luke makes a note. So about that time, is talking about this famine. Now, about the time of the famine now, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So he was going after believers and specifically the leaders of the church now Herod he was more like the governor of uh, the Judea area Uh, he was appointed by Rome actually Claudius did that now we see Luke writing here Herod the king was more like a governor his real name was Herod Agrippa the first that was his really Full name. Later on, we'll see uh, Herod Agrippa II, other names. But there's a whole line of these Herods. They're more like a title here. 
He was the grandson of Herod the Great back in, in when Jesus was born. If you remember, he was the one that ordered all the babies and toddlers to be killed when Jesus was born back in Matthew chapter 2. So he's the grandson. He's in charge. He's overseeing the area of Judea where Jerusalem is. And so he went after the Christians in a hostile way. He started to persecute now the church. He went after specifically the leaders. And first of all, it says he, in verse 2, he killed James, the apostle James, who was the brother of John. You remember James and John? They were the disciples. They're apostles now. Remember Jesus called them the sons of thunder because they wanted to cast down fire to the Samaritans that they'd get all burned up because they didn't allow Jesus to travel through Samaria way back in Jesus' time. Well, James, an apostle now, and he was killed. He was arrested. He was taken into custody. And then he was killed, basically martyred. James is the first apostle to be martyred. James is the first one. Stephen was the first Christian martyr back in Acts chapter 7. Well, James is the first apostle to be martyred. Now, tradition tells us that when he was about to be uh, beheaded, the Roman soldier guarding him was so impressed with his courage and how peaceful, his peace of heart, that he knelt down to James and asked, before James, and asked for forgiveness for his part in this execution. It is said that James replied to him, said, Peace, my son, peace to you, and I pardon your faults. Well, the soldier was so moved, he confessed Jesus, he received Jesus, and he was beheaded alongside with James. That's what tradition says. Interesting is we read here in verse 2 that James was killed with the sword. And what's interesting about that, that in the Jewish Talmud, that was the form of execution for anyone who would lead Jewish people to worship other gods. So isn't that interesting? And, and so Herod specifically had James martyred in this manner. And it really goes with what we see next here. In verse 3, it says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Herod saw, whoa, killing James. That, oh, the, the Jewish leaders, they love this. They like that. Remember the Jews at this time, they didn't like Christians, right? They didn't like the apostles. They didn't like Paul. Remember, they went after Saul at this time. They went after him because he switched sides. So the Jewish religious leaders were really out there persecuting the Christians already, the believers already. And so here comes Herod stepping in. And so you can tell now that this was the political move. That's our heading here. It was a political move for Herod to get favor from the Jews. Because you know what? If he could get on the Jews' good side... And then there might be more peace in Judea, which is he was overseeing. And if he can keep some peace in that area, then he would gain more favor from Rome. And Herod could perhaps climb that political ladder, gain more power, gain more position, gain more money. So it was all this political move for him, power, position, all of that in Rome. Remember, the Jews, they were like a thorn in the side for Rome, right? They were always bucking Rome. They didn't like worship of Caesar. No, we have one God. And, and we know years later, 30 years later, there's going to be a big rebellion against Rome in 70 AD. And that was when the Romans destroyed the temple. So these Jews were always a thorn, right, in the side of Rome, even in Jesus' time, right? Pilate was coerced. He, he was manipulated by the Jewish leaders, right? Hey, if you don't take care of Jesus, you don't crucify him, then you're no friend of Rome. And, and they were going to make it, they made it into this whole political thing. Well, here's Herod now. Herod, well, hey, if I can keep peace in this area with these volatile Jews and they're happy and peaceful, hey, it's going to be good for me politically and for my position in Rome. So he thought, hey, what worked the first time? They're happy with Jews. Well, I mean, with James being martyred. Then, hey, the second time, 
it's going to work even better because I'm going to grab Peter and kill Peter too. So that was the plan, right? The Jews were happy. Oh, here's this leader of this sect they don't like, these Christians, so to speak. Oh, got rid of him. Well, hey, now he has Peter, and he's thinking they're going to be very happy. I mean, Peter, of course, we know him as one of the key persons in the church, right? I mean, we've read so much about him. He's the one who stood up in chapter 1. He preached the first sermon. I, I, I feel like we don't know exactly, but I feel like that Peter, James, and John, who were there with Jesus at the transfiguration, remember Jesus just brought them, that they were perhaps the main leaders in the early church at this moment. Certainly, Peter, because we've been seeing so much of Luke writing about him. So, perhaps for Herod and maybe the Jewish leaders, oh, if we can get to all the leaders, perhaps maybe plan was John too, but they got James. Now he arrests Peter. He has Peter in custody. Perhaps maybe they were thinking, you know, that saying, oh, cut the head of the snake, right? And the body dies. Perhaps that was a, a, a strategy in all of this. So, the political move of Herod brought a death sentence for Peter, the apostle. Isn't that sad? I was just thinking about that, how sad that is. But look what they, what they did to Jesus, right? What the religious leaders did in this false arrest, unjust accusations, bringing him in front of uh, Pilate, the governor, for, so Jesus would be crucified. Because the Jews didn't have the power to crucify, to bring that execution of, of death there. Well, here, look what's going on. Another political move. This time it's Herod, and he's the one who brings this death sentence for Peter, the apostle, for him to be martyred. And it's so sad to me that someone would do something like that to someone else just in a political move in what we see here. I read about some burglars who broke into a church in Buffalo, New York, and they stole like over $500 worth of toys that had been donated by the people of the church, and the church was going to give it out to those in need. And some uh, robbers came in, thieves came in, took it all, and I was thinking, how sad, how sad is that when the selfish desire of certain people brings so much pain and heartache? And it's sad when that happens. I mean, we, we've probably all been under that too and felt that too. In someone's manipulation, someone's vie for their move, maybe at, at your workplace or, or, or maybe in school, wherever it was, or, or someone just trying to, to get what they want to, to bolster themselves at your cost. And this is what's going on here. I was thinking even today in our political climate, right? that there's a lot of politics going on and there's fights going on and all that. But you can see in our society today, in our world, even in our country, that even now there's a political move against our principles as Christians. And we, we see that going on. Well, you know what? It's the same thing that was happening way back here too in the ancient times. It's the nature of our flesh, of sin, of the world. The thing is though, we shouldn't be that way, right? We were reading the story, Herod, yeah, that, that's what he was about. His whole family was like that. His grandfather was really wicked. And him too, he's not that great. We're going to see in the in next week in the second part of this chapter that he's not great either. These guys, they wanted everything for themselves. They wanted to fulfill all these desires. That, that That's what's going on here. And and then believers suffer under this. It's so sad, but this was the political move that was going on to threaten Peter that, that he was going to die because of what, he, what Herod wanted to do. So we see, number one, the political move. But let me tell you, prayer does make a difference. And we're going to see and how it's going to unfold in this chapter. Let's go to number two now, the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting. It goes on in verse three, 
It says, This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So that's our next section here. Now, Herod had Peter arrested. And when he was arrested, it was during the days of unleavened bread. And in other words, Passover, the Passover celebration includes Passover, includes the seven days unleavened bread. You know how the Jews would hide unleavened bread in the house and go and find it, uh, get rid of it like a a sin. Also, it was part of their their celebration of, of their journey and when they left Egypt. Uh, where they didn't have time to put leaven in the bread and let it rise, and they took that unleavened bread. So it was, it was a big celebration, right? It was, it was one of the, the, the top celebrations. And remember, that was when Jesus was crucified. So it was during that time, Peter was arrested during that, those days, and Herod seized him, verse 4, and put him in prison. So he's sitting in prison, and guess what? Four squads of soldiers were guarding him. Now, when it talks about four squads here, there was four soldiers. Basically, this is what they would do. Uh, every They would take a shift every six hours. So there's four soldiers taking a sh- shift every six hours. And so there was, what's that, four, um, what, 24 yeah. <laughs> uh, soldiers there. Um, so um, they would take a ship, and then pretty much it was a 24-hour guard. This was like maximum security. You could think about it that way. And probably because, well, remember, this isn't the first time Peter's in prison, right? In, our, in what we've studied here so far in the book of Acts, this is the third time. One time with Peter and John. Uh, Peter and John were there, and, and then another time, all the apostles were put in, in prison. Do you remember the last time he was in prison in Acts 5, the, the, the guards found them out of prison because, what, this angel came, right, released them, and they were out preaching again. And so I think Herod kind of heard about this. So Herod's like, wait, this is not going to happen again. This time we are going to make sure nothing like that's going to happen. That we're going to keep Peter secure. He will not escape. I'm sure he didn't really believe, oh yeah, how'd they get out, you know, kind of thing. But they must have found some way. But he said, no, we're going to get these soldiers in there. So, so Peter's being guarded by four squads of, of four soldiers guarding him, 24-hour maximum security. Herod's like, not again, no more. This is not going to happen. But you know what? If you fight God, God's going to fight back, right? Guarantee, yeah, guarantee you will not win. So the plan was now that Peter was keeping him. He arrested him during this seven-day period. And he was intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So he's going to bring him out and to the Jews and probably I just picture Jesus all over again, right? Like Pilate bringing Jesus out to the Jews, you know, and that he's going to bring him out, make them all happy and execute him right there and make them all happy. Now, he had to wait to the end of Passover celebration, unleavened bread, all of that because the Jewish po- Jewish uh, policy is no one was executed during this celebration. Funny though, Jesus was crucified. Plus, I think he knew with usually over one million people in town in Jerusalem for the feast, it was an opportunity to gain more favor to the Jews, uh, more people to look at him because he was a pretty prideful person too. So, with Peter facing his death, James is already arrested and killed. Peter now is arrested. What's going to happen? He's going to be martyred. He's going to be killed. So Peter facing his death as James did. We see in verse 4, earnest prayer for him was made by God 
made to God by the church. Now, the word earnest here, what we see in the Bible, earnest prayer, it means intense prayer. The word literally means to stretch to the limit. So you're really praying here. You're really going for it. I remember it said of David Brainerd that he'd go in the forest and he was a missionary to the Indians that he, he would literally pray so hard he'd come back all like, like all wet with sweat and all. That, to me, that's praying. That's fervent prayer. That's really giving your heart. That's really getting into prayer. So, so the church now was together giving this intense, fervent prayer and, it, and also the word speaks about constant prayer. So many of the co- commentaries believe as soon as Peter was arrested, and they know he's, he's facing death because what happened to James, right? That they were praying, and it could be that they were praying the whole seven days of the unleavened bread. So they're really praying. They're every day, maybe 24-hour prayer meetings, you know, was going on here. Notice, it does say that the prayer was made to God by what? The church. I want you to see that. Take note of that. It it was made by the body of Christ. The believers met together to pray. And this is important to see. The church in Jerusalem, this is what we're talking about here. The church in Jerusalem were meeting together to pray during that time Peter arrested and perhaps the whole seven days that he was there. They were praying. They knew that he won't get executed till the end of Passover. But they, so they were intensely praying to God and calling out to God to rescue Peter. Take a peek over down in um, verse 12. It says, When he realized he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is them praying. They were together in uh, the house of Mary, uh, the mother of John. This is John Mark. Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. That's who we're talking about. Mark, he's going to come up later in our studies in the book of Acts. And so Mary, uh, there's a lot of Marys back then, but it's this one Mary. And it's believed that her house is most likely the very place where Jesus had the Last Supper. So they met there, the disciples there. It's believed in Acts 1 when they were all praying, right, before the baptism of the Spirit came, that it was this house that they were praying. That, and it's, it's believed that that was the same place that they were there praying when the baptism of the Spirit happened, when the Spirit fell upon the believers. So this was a, a house, a place of prayer. And the body of Christ are meeting here to pray for Peter. For those seven days, they prayed fervently for Peter's release because they know what happened to James is going to happen to Peter. Perhaps it was that James was arrested and immediately, maybe the next day or so, uh, that he was martyred and killed. Well, Peter was arrested during the, the Passover, so they knew there was this time frame before Peter would be killed also. So this was, you know what, an opportunity to pray. So the prayer meeting for Peter's release was the opportunity for the church to pray together. You see what's going on here? The prayer meeting for Peter's release was the opportunity for the church to pray together. It was like maybe they didn't have time with James, you know, like to pray a lot and it happened. But here, whoa, wait, wait, we got some time. Let's get together. Let's pray. Let's take that opportunity to pray together. I read about a nine-year-old girl that was hit by a Cadillac sedan when crossing Uh, Las Vegas Boulevard. Stanford Washburn ran over to still see the bleeding girl alive but trapped underneath the vehicle. He yelled to some other guys around the car who ran over too. He yelled, let's get this off her. And so three other men, the four of them, lifted the car, moving it several feet, and then was able to help her when the EMTs came. Later, Washburn said it wasn't difficult to lift the car because the men were working 
together. And this is what he said. All of us with our strength, it was nothing. I like that. I say that because that's a picture of our prayer, of us praying together, of, 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 of coming together and strengthening each other in our prayers, that together we can pray powerfully to the Lord. Not that we can't when we're alone in our devotions, but there's something about when we gather together and pray together, when the Holy Spirit comes, when, when things are just flowing and people's prayers are just going back and forth, there's just strength in that. Let me tell you, the problem today, and this is in our church and in every church, believers don't take the opportunity to pray together in that strength. What we're reading here, this should motivate us to get together with the church to pray. There's something about that. There, there, there's God's in that, you guys. It's not just, oh, we just kind of sit and talk. No, we're, we're, it's a spiritual experience. It's the Holy Spirit moving. It's like when we worship the Lord here, right? We feel the Spirit moving. Well, that's like in our prayers. It's like when we're studying the Word together, we hear the Spirit. That's like in our prayers. Uh, worship and prayer and the preaching and teaching of the Word is all important in our lives. But let me tell you, most of the time, prayer meetings are tiny, sadly. Worship is big. Church, teaching of the Word is big. But when we have a prayer meeting, it's really small. It's just sad, but it's the reality I've accepted. But it shouldn't be, and I hope you'll be motivated tonight to attend prayer meetings, to see, look, the church got together. The body of Christ got together to pray for Peter's release. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala writes how his teenage daughter had strayed from the Lord. But one night, uh, they, had a week, they have a weekly uh, church prayer meeting on, on a Tuesday night. And in the middle of that, a woman stood up and said, You know, I really feel by the Spirit we need to direct our prayers to the pastor's daughter. So they all began to pray. Different people were praying for the pastor's daughter, interceding, praying one after another, one after another, again again for the daughter to return to God. Well, less than two days later, Chrissy is her name, was home. And when she came home, she asked her father, Who is praying for me? See, two nights ago, she explained, which was at the exact time of prayer, the prayer meeting, God had showed her a vision of her falling into a bottomless abyss, which totally scared her. And then God spoke to her about her own sin and rebellion. And so, she returned home, and she returned to God. You see, prayer is powerful, not just individually, but collectively when we pray. It's part of our Christian life. It's part of our gathering together. It's part of, I mean, we have worship, we have the teaching of the Word, we fellowship, we eat. <laughs> but you know what? Prayer is part of that too, you guys. Prayer is just as important as worship and the Word of God. Leonard Ravenhill said this, The church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many who pay, but few who pray. A worldly Christian will stop praying, and a praying Christian will stop worldliness. Tithes may build a church, but tears will give it life. That is the difference between the modern church and the early church. In the matter of effective praying, Never have so many left so much to so few. Brethren, let us pray. The early church was about the body of Christ praying together. Well, I pray that that would be today's church in the same way and ours too. And when you do, you will see prayer does make a difference. All right, we see number one, the political move. Number two, the prayer meeting. Now we go to number three, the prison miracle. And here we're going to look at verses 6 through 17. 6 through 17, but first, 6 through 11 here. And this is exciting. 
Now, verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. All right. On that very night before Herod was to execute Peter, God sent this angel to release him. Now, I love this. It says that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, that meant there was a, a guard on each side of him, and he had a chain. He was chained, basically, you know, like handcuff our day, to each of those two guards. And then there were more at the door of the prison. The sentries, the two other ones, were at the door of the prison. Well, the angel comes now and uh, stood next to Peter, and the light shone in the cell. Now, that light, I was thinking, wow, that's the glory of God that that was with the angel because he came from heaven, right? So this, this, this light is there on Peter, and shining on him next to him, and Peter's still asleep. Because the angel struck Peter on the side. Hey, come on. Hey, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Get up quickly. And then those chains that were connected to the other soldiers just fell off. Then the angel says, dress yourself, which means he probably had his tunic, but get your belt, cinch it up, you know, kind of thing. Put on your sandals, your shoes, and he did so. He said to them, get your cloak, get your coat, and follow me. And so Peter went out, followed the angel, and he didn't know that this was for real. He thought, well, this is kind of a dream, or he's seen some vision, God showing him something. So he he didn't know. And when they passed the first and second guard, they through the door, they came to this iron gate, which is probably the, the, the gate to the whole prison, leading into the city. And all of a sudden, it just opened for them. It was probably a locked gate. It opened. Maybe the angel used the force. No, the force. The angel doesn't need the force. But it just opened, right? And they went out, went down the street, and then the angel disappears. And then Peter's like, oh, hey, this isn't a dream. This is for real. I'm really here. Maybe he's like pinching himself. Oh, oh, no, I am awake, you know, kind of thing. So Peter finally realized this is not a dream. God had set him free. This is the prison miracle. Amazing. God came in here. Amazing, right? The, the, I don't know, the guards, they, I thought they, they shouldn't be sleeping. They're guarding, but they didn't see anything, right? They didn't feel the chains come off. The guards guarding, you know, the, 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 the prison outside at the door, they didn't see anything. They didn't maybe hear the gate go, you know, whatever, you know, nothing at all. I, it, this is a prison miracle. Now, in verse 6, I think this was the funniest thing, is that it says Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers. He's like out cold. I mean, how could he do that? This is the last night of his life. If you know you're going to get executed, perhaps beheaded like uh, John, probably, I mean James, right? I mean, that's a horrible death. I mean, I would, I would be awake. I'd be worried. I'd be like stressed out. But he's dead asleep. Matter of fact, so much so, the angel had to like, hey, 
Hey, wake up. Wake up. He's sound asleep. He, the, the angel comes up with the light, you know, the glory of heaven shining light into the cell. Funny thing, the Roman soldiers didn't see anything like that. They didn't see it. They didn't notice it. Maybe the angel was trying to, like, shine that light to wake him up. You know, like, I, I mean, we sleep with our windows open and everything, and when there's that full moon and it comes barreling into, into you know, the bedroom, I know Chris is like, Chris is like, oh, it's so bright. You know, it wakes you up, right? Imagine an angel from heaven in the glory light coming out, and he's still asleep. Peter's out cold. How can he be like that? We speculate, well, you know, he was trusting in God, right? He, he prayed. Philippians 4, the peace that passes all understand. He had that peace, yeah? Or Isaiah, you know, he keeps his mind in, you know, he, me, you know, he'll, God will give you peace. It could be that. You know what I think? I think two things. I think Peter held on to what Jesus had told them. Remember, after Jesus' ascension and he came to Peter and, and, and on the shore when they were fishing and all that. And that was when P, uh, Jesus uh, commissioned Peter once again after his failure. Hey, teach my sheep, you know, feed my lambs, you know, f- to, uh, feed my sheep, uh, all that. And then um, J- uh, Jesus made a prediction about John and his death. And Peter's like, how about me? But P- Peter, bas- basically Jesus told Peter that you won't die till an old age. Now, this is about 44, 45 A.D. Remember, in our studies in 2 Peter, I mentioned that when he, this was his, that his last letter, 2 Peter, and he was about to be martyred, uh, crucified upside down. Well, that, this was back in 67, 68 A.D. So it's 20 years later, 20 plus years. So, so I guess he's older then. So it could be Peter held on to what Jesus said, that he would not die till an old age. I think he knew that. I think he knew that. And he was okay. Plus, the second thing, I think, Peter's like, well, if I'm not going to die in old age, God really, God released me before, right? Just back in Acts chapter 5. And you know what? God can do it again. He can do it again. That's what I think. That's my speculation. That's why he could be out cold. No, no worries. It's not my time. He released me before. He can do it again. And he was just out cold. Probably the soldier's like, how could he sleep? You know, this guy. Man, his snoring is so loud. <laughs> so Peter is released here miraculously. So then verse 12. Let's go on here to verse 16. When he realized this, that, whoa, this is for real, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, we talked about this, where many were gathered together and were praying. So he went to the house where he knew the church was praying, because they were always praying, and he knew in this situation they would be praying also. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl uh, named Rhoda came to answer. So he knocked on the outer door. I don't know if you remember some some of those movies, you know, old biblical movies or Jerusalem movies or Middle East movies. There's this outer door, and then you go in through that, and there's the, the living area inside, uh, maybe a courtyard or something like that. So he's knocking on the door. So he's on the street. He's knocking on the door. And then a servant girl named Rhoda, or the Greek name is uh, Rose, actually means, or it means Rose, sorry. It's Rhoda and it means Rose, came to answer. In verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Can you imagine that? Like Peter's like, hey, it's me, it's Peter. And she goes, Peter, is that you? It's me. Let me in. It's you. Oh, my gosh. It's you. And she runs inside to tell the others. And Peter's like, I'm still here. I don't know when the guards are going to wake up. I don't know when there's going to be a search, you know, right? And so she runs in 
to tell everyone reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Well, everyone at the prayer meeting, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's its angel, it's its angel. Now, the Jews believed that every person had a guardian angel that looked like them. And so that's why they're, they're like, ah, oh, that's not him. It's, it's just, you got it wrong. It's just his angel. But verse 16, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. So I think it's, it, it's crazy that they didn't believe her. And you're at a prayer meeting praying for Peter's, no, can't be, no, no, no. And then they see him, they're amazed. I guess you can pray with a lot of zeal and still maybe have not too much faith about it. Yet, what do we see? God still rescued Peter. You know why? Because no prison can hold the servant of God that God wants out. You can't stop God. You cannot stop God. So then verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, like, shh, 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 shh quiet, quiet. Because they're probably all like, what? No, we are. Right? I mean, this is middle of the night. And who knows when the soldiers are going to wake up to the fact that he's gone. And so he probably went inside, and then he described to them, verse 17, how the Lord had brought him out of prison, the whole angel and everything. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, this James is different, because remember, James, the brother of John, has already been killed. This James is the other, um, is actually another James, which is um, Jesus's, half-brother, yeah, who wrote the book of James. So, and he, we'll see later that he becomes like a leader in the church, or perhaps already is, and to the brothers, probably meaning the other leadership like the other apostles. So tell them what happened, tell them what's going on, and then he departed, perhaps so that if the soldiers come to look that they're not implicated, yeah, and arrested, he left, he departed, and went to another place. We don't know where exactly he ended up. We don't know um, uh, if he went to another city or he hid out somewhere else, another town. We don't know anything. He went somewhere. But in a way, it kind of speaks of what's going on because at this point, Peter fades from the scene. He fades from the book of Acts. We'll see him being mentioned in Acts 13. But after this, as we get into chapter 13, and when we get into the next chapter, it's going to start focusing on the Apostle Paul. And the rest of Acts is really about that. So the first part of Acts is a lot about Peter. Um, so now he's, he departed, he disappeared, he kind of faded from the scene. But it's not that Peter wasn't used again. Luke just didn't write about him. We, he didn't record him. He focused in on the Apostle Paul. Because, you know how I know? Because we're studying, right, the book of Second Peter, and he's still ministering. He's still sharing Jesus. He's still witnessing all the way to the end of his life. And I also know and believe that God rescued Peter to do more ministry. He wasn't done with Peter yet. He was not done with Peter. So we can clearly see in all of this that there was a miracle that happened. And here's what I want you to see. The people praying together got to be part of the prison miracle. They were praying for this, and it came to pass. They were praying, and look, it happened. Maybe they're surprised in the way it happened. Maybe that's what their amazement was. There's a lot of talk about, oh, what happened? They didn't have faith. I know they must have some faith. They couldn't all have been clueless in my mind, you know. Uh, but maybe they had other ideas on how it was to be done. But either way, amazed could have been that oh, he is here, yeah. Oh, it has come to pass. I mean, how many times we prayed for something and God answers and we're still like chicken skin and amazed and thank you, Jesus. So the people praying together got to be part of the prison 
miracle. Puritan Thomas Watson said this, The angel fetched Peter out of the prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I love that. So you see, when we pray, we get to partake and be part of this miracle, the part of God's work. We take part of what he's doing. Listen, the, the, one of the highest privileges we have is to pray, is to intercede for one another. That's a privilege. That's an honor, you guys. That, that's something that, that we get to take part in. We get to be in part of this process in the steps of someone's prayer being answered, someone's hopes being answered, someone to be saved and freed from their sin. That's a great privilege, and and we should pray. It's the greatest thing we could do for someone. Yeah, we could help someone give them money, go help them move, or do this. But you know what the greatest thing you can do is pray for that person and intercede. To ask God to powerfully move. And then when that movement happens, when God's work done, uh, gets done and there's a miracle, we've we got to be part of that whole process. And I think that's exciting, you guys. It's exciting to be part of that. Someone said that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And I was sitting there thinking about, wow, that's cool. We get to pray and God, prayer is powerful not because of us, but because of who God is, right? He's powerful. Let us be prayer warriors. Let us be intercessors. Let us be people who gather together with other believers to pray together. Let us be a church that prays. Let us be people who pray. Ian Bounds said this, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men or people whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. We need to be people of prayer, people mighty in prayer. And how can we be mighty in prayer? By interceding, by doing it. How can we be mighty in prayer? By going to the mighty one and seeking him and praying constantly, diligently, intensely, earnestly, just like these guys have. I was reading about this pastor, Zebedaioidu. Idu. When Pastor Zebedaioidu Idu was arrested by uh, communist Simba rebels who took over this town, in Bunia and Zaire, the church got together and prayed, just like what we're reading. The next day, all the prisoners who were, were taken were to be executed in the town square. Uh, but the, when they went to load the prisoners, they loaded the prisoners in a truck to transport them into this, to this town square. The truck didn't start. So it took a little while, and they had the prisoners push start the truck, got it going. They arrived late. Then the frustrated uh, police commissioner, just because he was frustrated, uh, decided to have the prisoners count one, two, one, two, one, two. All the twos were taken back to the prison. All the ones, the twos could hear, were executed. Well, Pastor Zebadio was a two. When he got to the prison... And everyone's wondering what's going on. He was able to share Christ, and eight men received Christ. And then right after that, suddenly someone burst into the, to the prison and said, you're free, and the pastor was set free. Just like that. There was a mistake, you're set free. Well, when Pastor Zebedio uh, got back to the church, the prayer meeting turned into a praise meeting. I love that. I love that. So let's be inspired, you guys. As we see the people praying together got to be part of the prison miracle. And just like these people with Pastor Zebadiel, we we can be too, you know. We can be too. It's exciting. It's exciting. So you see, prayer does make a difference. We see the political move, the prayer meeting, the prison miracle. And finally, number four tonight, 
the power made clear. The power made clear. Last two verses tonight, verse 18 and 19. Now, verse 18, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So verse 18, when day came, right, they're supposed to take Peter to be executed, but the prisoner is gone. And notice there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. That means they are seriously panicking right now. They're going crazy. They're like, what? How could he be gone? What? He was here. What? And so you see in verse 19 that Herod put the guards to death because that's really the consequences of losing your prisoner back then, that you're put to death. And so Herod... After he tried to find, couldn't find Peter, you know what? He left Judea. He went up north to Caesarea. And up north was a a kind of a little resort area that was built. And uh, he went up the north coast, and he basically ran away defeated. He ran away pouting. He ran away, like, with his tail between his legs because his plans, his His scheming did not come to pass. And here's the thing. No satanic inspired plan can defeat God's sovereign plan and purpose. Cannot. If God still wants to use Peter, God's going to use Peter, right? If it's not his time, it's not his time. Now maybe you're wondering, okay, Awesome. The prison miracle, what a story. Awesome. He's delivered again with the angel, but we get so much detail here. It's like, oh, this is crazy. It'd be a great movie, yeah? Peter was spared of death, but how about James? How about James? James, he, he was beheaded. Well, how do we explain that? Well, I don't know, you guys. But all I know, it's God's sovereign will at work. It was God's will for James to be beheaded and martyred, but it wasn't Peter's timing. It will be, right? 20 plus years later, he'll be martyred, crucified, upside down. Was it maybe, did God not answer the prayers for James? I don't Maybe there wasn't as much time to pray for him. I'm sure they still prayed. But it wasn't God's sovereign will. Well, why is that? I don't know. But what we do know is that God has numbered our days, Psalm 90, 20. That there's a time and place for every person right, to die. There's a time and place for every believer to one day go to heaven. No matter how that is. God knows. God knows that is. For James, that this was his time. For Peter, it wasn't. When it's not Peter's time, then nothing, nothing can come against Peter. When it was James' time, then things just, things just went that way. And we have to trust God in God's sovereign work. For James, it was his time. But you know what I was thinking? Perhaps it was God's grace. James got the privilege to go home and be with Jesus. Perhaps it was God's grace to bring him home sooner than Peter. Just a thought. I was thinking about that today. My my heart was going deeper into that. But just throwing that out to you guys. Here's the thing in all of this. By this, by what happened, the power is made clear that God is the powerful one and in control. Not Herod. Not Herod. It's probably scary, Herod grabbing the leaders. What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to us? Probably the believers are wondering. Maybe the apostles are like, whoa, this is serious now. Whoa, they're coming after us. I'm sure they're in prayer seeking the Lord too. 
But with Peter's release and his rescue, the power is made clear. That God is the powerful one. He's the sovereign. He's in control. Not Herod. And I said earlier, you cannot fight against God and win. Isaiah 45, 9, the first part says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed you. In other words, how can anyone fight against the maker, the creator? Nobody can. We should rest in that. We should rest in that. That our sovereign God, he has us. He'll take care of us. It's time to go. It's time to go. And even that, I want to be with Jesus. But until that time, God will be with you. God will take care. Not that we test God either with this, but that we stick to our mission that God has given us to do. That we fulfill that mission. That he has purpose in us as we live here, as we live this life here on earth. That's what's important. And our sovereign God, he's, he's going to take care of it. No, wonder the, no, no matter the political climate, no matter what government leaders might do, no matter what may be happening politically or socially or whatever at work, or, no matter, God's going to get his purpose done. He's the powerful one. He's the one in control, not Herod. Not any of the Herods over us. You can't fight against God. I'll close with this. Years ago, Sundar Singh was ordered by the chief lama of a Tibetan community that he lived in to be thrown into a deep well because of his fate. The lid of the well was securely locked and Sundar was left to die. He lay, they dropped him down there and you know what? He was laying on bones of previous people who were thrown in there rotting flesh, others who had died for their faith in Jesus before him. On the third night, he was crying out to God in prayer, and all of a sudden, he heard someone unlock the lid. He heard a voice calling out down to him, take hold of the rope, and a rope was lowered down. Sundar found there was a loop at the bottom of the rope where he could place his feet, and then he held on to the rope with his uninjured arm. Uh, he, he was beaten and stuff, and one arm was messed up. He, he was pulled up. He was uh, pulled up, uh, lifted out of this well, and then the lid was replaced and relocked. Sundar then looked around, and this helper had vanished, gone like that. He said there was nobody to thank. When morning came, you know where people found him? preaching in the town again. When the uh, chief lama was told what happened, he said, no way, that did not happen. You know why? For the only key to the lid on the lock to the well was still attached to his own belt. Could it be an angel? I think so. I think an angel came and released him. Sundar was praying too. I'm sure there's others praying. Prayer is the greatest power God has put into our hands. We have superpowers. <laughs> Miracles can and will happen. And so let's pray. We must pray and believe that prayer does make a difference. Jesus, thank you so much. God, this account, this story that Luke wrote, so encouraging, Lord. And so amazing. So fun to read, to hear of the miracle of the angel that came and released Peter. So funny to see Rhoda like running without opening the door. And Peter's like standing there, hey, I'm still here. So amazing to see the people who are praying were so amazed. It speaks so deep to us, Lord, to pray, to be real, to come to you, to make a priority, to make an effort. God, we know that 
when things are really bad, we tend to pray more. And that's okay. That's great, even. But when things are good, let us not stop praying. But let us continue the same, in the same intensity to intercede for one another, for those who are in need of prayer. Sometimes we pray only when we're in trouble and not as much when others are in trouble. But God, may we do both all the time. Lord, let the prayer meeting become just as important as the worship time and the Bible study. Just as important as our fellowshipping together as a church. And let us, God, come to you believing that prayer does make a difference. I believe that, Lord. And I believe right now you're changing our hearts, our attitudes, God. And we're all making decisions, Lord. Choices right now to change the way, when, how often, and where we go for prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your loving call, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.